Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, our purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for his sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome to Lose Yourself. I'm Dr. Mike Cunningham, and I'm so glad you could join me for today's episode. Well, we've been in a series on discipleship to start off this year. We've covered timely and historic topics such as discipleship, Christian education, spiritual formation, seminary training, whether or not to celebrate Lent. We've been talking about ways that we grow in our faith and that this whole sanctification and or discipleship process is a lifelong process that begins at conversion and continues throughout our life where we grow in our biblical literacy, our spiritual disciplines such as prayer, fasting, koinonia, and theological training. In so doing, we are preparing ourselves not just to grow ourselves, but then also help others around us. Because we as Christians are not designed to do this by ourselves. There's a reason we gather on Sunday. There's a reason that we come together in corporate worship, first of all, because God deserves it, and we should be grateful for all he's done for us. But also, through the encouragement of one another, through living in biblical community, we're able to encourage one another. Iron sharpens iron, and we are good for each other. We challenge each other. We support each other. And so it's important for us to realize that while individually discipleship is measurable Christian growth on our part, on the other hand, it's not just this personal journey or personal self-improvement plan that is subjective and individualistic. It is something that happens both in tandem of ourselves and our own private disciplines, but also within a local church where we grow and together and we also create a welcoming and helpful environment for those who want to come to faith. Today we're going to talk about a subject where opinions can vary within different denominations and Christian backgrounds, and that is the subject of apologetics. Truth be told, there's different schools of apologetics. There's cultural apologetics, there are classical apologetics, there are presuppositional apologetics. And you might be saying to me, Mike, you've already lost me. I don't know what any of those mean. And first of all, what is apologetics? Apologetics is a simple way of defending the Christian faith and building bridges to belief. There's times that people call it pre-evangelism because it is answering objections that precede people even considering coming to faith. For example, if you've heard good things about apologetics, it means you've known people that were persuasive and helpful to people coming to faith. Those who maybe have a negative view of apologetics think of people who are argumentative or even kind of bullying in terms of their cyber presence or their personal demeanor. And in some cases, these are people that are responding to negative experiences in their past. Apologetics really rose to prominence in the 20th century. I mean, for all of the issues with postmodernism, modernism was not terribly kind to the church either. I think about my grandfather's lifetime from 1901 to 1996. He began his life in a primitive world where, at the, frankly, at the time, London was probably the center of the universe. Horse and buggy, no indoor plumbing, no electricity, agricultural life. When he passed into glory in 96, he left internet 
two world wars, globalization, every technology you could think of, cell phones. What Christians spent in that season was a time of reeling from one technological advancement to the other, reeling from the globalization and communications of the world shrinking. And with that came criticisms and critiques of the Bible and the church. And so some of the pastors that you speak to who went to seminary in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s had negative experiences because in some cases their professors, the people that they were looking to, to disciple them and teach them how to be pastors were in fact critical of the Bible and critical of the faith and did not have answers for the changes in the world around them. And so in some cases, those people came out and they have kind of an abrasive swagger uh, in their defense of the truth, because they know what it feels like to kind of have that experience of being violated, and they don't want other people to have that same experience. As apologetics has progressed, there's been opportunities for us to then take on maybe a more conversational and kinder demeanor about it, where we are able to then build bridges to people who are just skeptical because that's the world we live in. We live in a post-Christian age, and so today we're going to take a look at what are classical apologetics. There are other forms. There's some missional applications. There's also presuppositional, which is considered to be pulpit apologetics. These are when pastors weave apologetic methodology in their sermons where they are preaching biblically and exegetically, but taking on in the application points the topics of the day, the concerns, and in so doing, bridging that gap to people who are coming into the congregation and they are seeking and searching, perhaps sitting in the pew skeptically about what they might hear. What that apologetics is about, just opening an exegetical Bible study and showing people that it makes sense, that it is not only uh, not harmful, but is beneficial, and it stacks up via whatever worldview is walking in the door. And we'll get to that one. But today we're kind of starting with classical apologetics, which is typically done more on a one-on-one basis outside the church walls and in the community. Perhaps you've been teased by a coworker or a friend or a neighbor who said like, you're religious? I thought you were smart. Or maybe they say certain things like, I'm too educated and sophisticated for church. And in some cases, when you go to open up your Bible and share with them, You have to convince them to even open up the Bible. And so that's kind of what today is about, is that sometimes we need to have an ability to converse with people that are skeptical of even just the idea of hearing what we have to say from a biblical standpoint. And so classical apologetics are a very helpful way of doing that. The classical apologetic method has been popular among such luminaries as C.S. Lewis, R.C. Sproul, and other influential apologists. It's sometimes called the two-step method, and you first prove the existence of God via theistic proofs and then move into your theological method. It's also referred to as natural theology. I'm referring to a particular book today by Drs. Norman Geisler and Doug Potter, 12 Points That Show Christianity is True, and we'll continue in some of these different resources as we continue to study apologetics these next few episodes. Mainly today, we're going to begin that process by just defending the idea of this particular apologetic model, and then maybe next week I'll get into specifics of that method to talk about how we talk to people in that classical method, and then in future weeks, perhaps we talk about the presuppositional view. 
But let's get started on why we even need apologetics to begin with. How do we overcome objections to apologetics? First, let's talk about what is apologetics. Apologetics is giving a reason or defense of our Christian faith. Positively, it is building a case for Christianity. Negatively, it is answering objections to faith. It serves a positive or offensive and a negative or defensive purpose. Positively, it builds a positive case for the Christian faith by defending the objective nature of truth, giving the reasons for God's existence, providing a defense of miracles, and arguing for the credibility of the gospel record, providing evidence of the deity of Christ and reasoning for the divine authority of the Bible. Negatively, it is answering objections against the faith. As C.S. Lewis explains, to be ignorant and simple now, not to be able to meet the enemies on their ground, would be to throw down our weapons and to betray our uneducated brethren who have, under God, no defense but us against the intellectual attacks of the heathen. Good philosophy must exist if for no other reason because bad philosophy needs to be answered. That's from The Weight of Glory, page 50. Apologetics are pre-evangelism or paving the way for the gospel. Over half the world is non-theistic. We cannot effectively evangelize until we first pre-evangelize. Some may ask, why do apologetics? There are several reasons to do Christian apologetics. First, the Bible commands that it be done for unbelievers. As in 1 Peter 3.15 says, we need to give a reason. Quote, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Second, our culture demands it because it runs with other worldviews that deny truth or reform it to its own purposes. The church needs apologetics because the Christian worldview continues to erode and people need to be given hope and encouragement within our churches. There are several objections to apologetics. Objection one says only the Holy Spirit can save, not apologetics. The answer to this states that this is true, but evidence can be used by the Holy Spirit. Apologetics can lead them to water. Only the Holy Spirit can persuade them to drink. Objection two states, the Bible is like a lion and does not need to be defended, only let loose. The answer to this objection would be, would we accept other faiths based on this? The reason we fear a lion is because our prior evidence of their danger. We need evidence that what looks like a lion is a lion. Objection three, Paul tried apologetics in Acts chapter 17, but failed. The answer is not so. In Acts 17.34, it gives results and some believed. Paul used the same method in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Objection 4. Paul said that the natural man does not understand the spiritual things in 1 Corinthians 2.4. The answer to this objection states that a distinction needs to be made between perceiving truth as in Romans 1.18, which the natural man can do, and receiving truth as in 1 Corinthians 2.14, which the natural man cannot do. Objection 5 states that we are saved by faith alone, not 
faith plus reason, as in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9? The answer to this is yes, but faith is not unreasonable, and a rational person needs evidence that God exists before believing in God. And finally, Objection 6 states that no one is saved by apologetics, but by preaching Christ, as said in Romans 1.16. And we answer this by saying, is not either or, but both and. Apologetics is one way to help bring people to God. The God of reason who created human with reason would not bypass reason on the way to the heart. So apologetics is giving a reason or defense of the Christian faith. It has a positive side and builds a case for Christianity and a negative side that answers objections to faith. Apologetics paves the way for the gospel and is, therefore, pre-evangelism. There are four reasons to do apologetics. One, the Bible commands it. Two, culture demands it. Three, the church needs it. And four, results confirm it. If God is a God of reason who created people with reason, he would not bypass reason on the way to faith. Friend, you can see that apologetics are necessary. They're needed. Our first and foremost responsibility is to the Bible and to our spiritual disciplines. But it is also helpful in our evangelism and pre-evangelism, for that matter, through our lifestyle, through our ability to converse with people within this worldview and make those bridges to faith. Friend, I know this is difficult, and sometimes you might find yourself in a position where people are being critical and condescending to you. I pray that you will be patient with them, and but also you'll be helpful to them by just taking 1 Peter 3.15 to heart. I pray, that, friend, that you'll be able to give a reason for the hope that you have in a way that will make a difference and change the life of someone that you come into contact with. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you on our next episode of Lose Yourself. This has been Lose Yourself. Lose Yourself is a teaching ministry of Bible teacher, Dr. Mike Cunningham. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a production of Key Radio.